All right. How did everybody like that jingle, huh? A little Irish dance in oh there. Oh, my God. And... <laughs> I still can't believe you did that. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Lojo Show. I am your host, Loverture Jones. I am the founder and managing partner at BlackRock Engineering and Technology. I have over 21 years of cybersecurity experience, and I am honored to be able to bring some of that experience to you. Welcome to Season 2. We are using a new, more engaging format to help our listeners digest our episodes easily. Today, we are going to dive into some cyber news, give you our analysis, and talk about the legal consequences of poor cybersecurity. I am also joined here by Jonathan the Ludite, <laughs> is what you guys know him from as far as the uh, first season here. But today, he is just Jonathan Logan, our wow. producer. I'm really happy to have him on. He's so a very, I, I, very smart, talented individual. Aw. He's not very good looking. That's true. I have a face for radio, though. He does have a face for radio. That's why I'm it's doing this perfect. podcast. Yeah. Listen to that silky, smooth podcast <laughs> voice as he was bragging earlier today. So uh, today we're going to have the battles of silky smooth. The battle of silky smooth. Silky smooth. Oh, God. You know why we're talking silky smooth? Because we're going to get into some legal discussions today. Are you saying that like lawyers speak? Silky it is. It's lawyers speak. Mm. However, we need to at least go ahead and let everybody know that we are not attorneys. We can only read case files. Isn't that what attorneys do? I think that's what they do. Huh? Uh. It's kind of funny, right? <laughs> I think they literally go to school for four more years of law Ugh. to write essays and memorize law that actually they will usually have in a book mm. or, excuse me, online now <laughs> yeah to be able to reference court cases my mom always said i should be a lawyer because i'm great at arguing so i don't know if that's true i mean if you look at like most lawyers or a lot of lawyers a lot of them are divorced <laughs> so apparently I mean, they can't argue very well because they can't convince their or, spouse to stay or they argue too well and their spouse just doesn't want to deal with it that might be the case yeah. but i still think that they're Horrible arguers. I mean, at the end, I mean, they might do well at the, you know, when there's like structure to the argument in the case, but the wife can bring up circumstantial evidence all the time. <laughs> there's nothing you can do. And now we're just assuming that every lawyer is a man in this oh, case. God. So, all right. So, this we is digress. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> we digress. All right, John, we got, we got topic number one cyber news. Yes, that's correct. All right. So, this is the moment where. John sits me down like I am a little kindergarten student and mm. reads to me articles. So let's go. Let's well, start. What do we got? I, I read the article so the listener can know what you're digesting and what you're, you know, giving your analysis oh, of. Oh, so this is more advanced than, than Yes. That. So there's a difference on this one. Yes. No, this is just I'm reading it so they can hear what we're going to be discussing. But aren't you going to ask me how do I feel? No, I don't care how you feel. About the article? No, it's just I want your analysis. I want your brain, not your heart. That is a really, really, I mean, you got, you got issues. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, the first one we have today is from Sarah Coble at infosecuritymagazine.com. The title is Lawsuit Filed Over Contact Tracing Data Breach. A federal lawsuit has been filed against Pennsylvania and a vendor contracted by the state's Department of Health over a data breach to expose the personal health information of thousands of Pennsylvanians. 
The DOH hired Atlanta-based company Insight Global in 2020 to provide contact tracing and other similar services following the outbreak of COVID-19. The department later said that employees of the company caused a data breach by creating unauthorized documents outside of the secure data systems created by the Commonwealth. Information exposed in the data breach included names, phone numbers, and medical information belonging to 72,000 individuals. The data breach has fir was first reported by WPXI TV show Target 11 on April 30th after the show's team learned of the incident via a whistleblower. The show's investigator, uh, Rick Earl, today reported that a lawsuit has been filed over the breach. Insight Global and the Pennsylvania Department of Health are named as defendants in the suit, which claims that the data breach victims now face an increased risk of identity theft. The plaintiffs allege that the data breach was a direct result of the defendant's failure to implement adequate and reasonable cybersecurity procedures and protocols. In the suit, Insight Global is accused of maintaining unsecure spreadsheets, databases, and or documents containing the public health information. In a statement by the company sent to Earl, Insight Global claimed to be unaware of any litigation regarding the data breach. Insight Global has not been served with the lawsuit and will need time to analyze any allegations, but can say that they're working closely with the Pennsylvania Department of Health to identify any individuals whose information may have been affected. Your thoughts, your feelings. You remember that little like jingle you did as a kid and it had this little line in it that was like, you Oscar know, step on a crack and you break your mama's back, right? Is that a, I think that's a limerick. I don't think that's a... I don't know what it's from. <clears throat> I just know that it was something that we said, usually if we were jump roping... It was something like that, and then Hop, that's hopscotch down the, the street. Or, yeah, you know that. Oh, no, jump roping is not hopscotch. No, but you said step on a crack, break your mama's back. That's, oh, that that's was hopscotch. hopscotch. Yeah. Oh, okay. All yeah. right. It was a hopscotch. Step on a line, break your father's spine. So, yeah. So let, let's just dive into this, right? There's this term out there called speculative future harm, right? Hard as hell to prove. It is so difficult to prove it that. Most of the cases out there that have tried to use this have died and just absolutely just flopped on the edge of the river when you pull a fish out and just died, ran out of air, right? ran out of <laughs> oxygen, okay? And here's the thing. For you to actually be able to move forward with these lawsuits, which is becoming more and fewer far between, right, um, you got to prove that there was an injury, right, mm -hmm. that you were actually hurt, legitimately hurt, right, and then you've got to then prove that the injury was caused by whatever company or organization's conduct. Mm -hmm. And then, by some miracle, you've also got to prove that the injury can likely be redressed by a favorable judicial decision, mm. which has not occurred, right? Like ever or? It occurs where you see some, some companies will settle, but really usually when they settle, it's more so to... One, maybe reduce some of the damages, but more so because, one, their brand is also taking a very bad hit at that point in time, so they need to move and look like they're doing something. So for optics, they just settle to get that. it out of the news and stuff? Yeah, to get it out of the news and mm -hmm. to, to really you know, to really do that. So it is very, very difficult. Um, you know, Right now in the year of 2022 to really prove that, hey, you know, speculatively... I could be harmed in the future because my data was stolen. And so therefore I am, you know, I am worried and I have to think about the fact that that data could be used for something right. you know, later on down the road. So 
only problem is again, it's it's not material. It's not material enough for you know a company to or for a, a plaintiff in that case to be able to say that hey, I've got damages, right? And it's their fault. You know, specifically their fault, right? And we see that. We see that in, uh, in a number of different cases out there. Um, there's some definitely resources and stuff too that we'll cite. You know, that's on the that's on the site. I don't want to go into each one of these cases and stuff that's out there right now. But it is. It's very difficult to prove that you have actually been injured, and that it's actually directly that company's fault mm. for those injuries. Um, here's where companies and stuff have to really kind of show or what they have to demonstrate just to say, hey, you know what? We did all we could. You know, this in some cases we did. You know, we did ninety percent of what we should have done, but it just didn't happen. So. Um, one of the things is, is that a company just really has to prove that they, you know, put in at least proper due diligence and stuff for prevention, for the prevent the, you know, to prevent uh, a breach or prevent a security incident from happening that, uh, you know, that exposed people's data, right? Um, showing that they have a program in place and those types of things, which honestly, from a measure standpoint, isn't hard for them in some cases, mm. right? Um, the other complication too, uh, the tier is that. We are so interconnected when it comes to data um, and how that data is both aggregated, parsed, uh, and or disseminated. There are many, many parties that are involved in that. So in a lot of cases, it's very hard to prove that only the party that you're actually trying to either sue or, or, or bring a lawsuit against is the one that's solely responsible for the damages that uh, that organization, you know, has that uh, damages that an individual has, um, you know, has realized. Mm. Okay. Um, the other part to this is that when we when we think about kind of again that that term speculative future harm, um, you know, it, it kind of goes to the same thing of, <laughs> of stock, right? You know, past performance does not indicate future, you know, success or future mm. performance and stuff that's there, right? It it really does not. I mean, our data and stuff has been compromised and breached in some cases because of our own actions and activities too. So you can't even, some, in some cases, you can't even distinguish that, hey, this was part of that breach there. My information got out on that breach specifically and mm -hmm. that is a person that's responsible for it. Well, if you had a Google account or if you had a, you know, a Hotmail account or if you had a Yahoo account or whichever over the years and it's been breached and say you had emails in that account that had your personal information in it. How do you know it wasn't that information in that right. time that actually, you know, started that, uh, that harm, right? That's, that's really the, 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 you know, that's really the, the, the hardest part to prove, right? Is that Who's you were damaged by that? Who was at fault? Yeah. Were they specifically at fault? And so what that does is that kind of ends up reducing what your damages look like. So you can't just go in and say, Hey, they stole my information. I want a million dollars. Hmm. Yeah. All right. The most you're probably going to get is, hey, we're going to give you a free subscription to this, uh, you know, this uh, uh, data protection site or whichever, right? Or, yeah. um, you know, or credit monitoring site. And, right. uh, you know, well, they, they have a free subscription to McAfee for your computer, <laughs> right? McAfee. Right. So <laughs> you end up with those because it's very hard to prove damages. It's very hard to prove that they got your specific information in that breach mm -hmm. because of the negligence of that company, right? Well, in this article, it's saying the Department of Health said that the breach happened because unauthorized documents outside of the secure data systems were created by the Commonwealth. Mm -hmm. And so the 
plaintiffs are saying that the data breach was a direct result of the defendant's failure to implement adequate and reasonable cybersecurity procedures and protocols. So it doesn't seem like they're trying to say like it wasn't like they're, that they're the one that lost the data, but because they didn't have the right protocols, they're going to sue them because it could be them. Yeah, so that is the next approach, right? Mm. Okay, so how that's described is that next evolution, right? It used to be that companies said, look, we did what we could. We, we, used, you know, we, we used the security. We, we protected it in the best way that we knew we could, right? So that additional information on that article, right, where you say, mm. hey, they knew how they were supposed to be doing this. They had a policy for it, right? And they didn't follow it. And they didn't follow it, yeah. right? But again, even though they may have those faults and they didn't follow those policies or so in the daily con- conduct of business and administration, how are you going to prove that you were damaged by that? Mm. So you're saying that they can prove that they didn't follow procedures, but they can't prove damages, so they won't win? Yeah, you got to mm. prove that an injury, in fact, happened and occurred, right? Mm. Uh, and then you also have to know that that injury was caused by the defendant's conduct. Right? So, I mean, it, it's kind of like this. I have my phone. I have my, I have my iPhone. I have your contact information in my iPhone, right? I've got your email address and, you know, who knows? I probably have documents on my iPhone because of the connected folders and all that stuff that, you know, that we have and things too through that. Now, granted, it's protected, but, you know, again, somebody gets in possession of that or somebody is... You know, say it's left on, <laughs> somebody gets in possession of that. Uh, in that case, well, yeah, there might be some things and information they can get off of it that's useful, and that might be your information, right? But again, it comes down to how were you damaged on that day? How were you actually damaged or injured or injured? Mm. Right? What seems, Is there something seems... materially that was there something material that you were injured by, right? So like Car crash, that's pretty easy, right? Car yeah. crash is, okay, actions. He drank too much that night, got in right. the car, drove, plowed into me, broke my arm, broke my leg, broke my hip. Yeah, that's right? very clear, cut now and dry. Now it's pretty clear right? you yeah. know, that, hey, there's, I, I have injury. Your actions directly contributed to that injury, right. and likely it's going to be found that you had fault with that and that you should be held accountable for that mm-hmm. uh, in compensation or whichever from there, right? And then turns to the insurance company that's that's there, and the insurance company fights it, and then the insurance company's like, ah, let's settle, and there you go, and then they cut you off, cut the, they cut the driver off from their insurance after that, right? They're like, yeah. we don't want you anymore. <laughs> We're moving on, right? So that's the, you know, there's the there's the simplified road that we normally have as far as just in regular personal injury and stuff too from that. But moving over into cyber, well, everything is more virtual, mm. right? It's more of a timing thing, right? Were you actually injured because your name and information went out there? I'll be honest with you. If you know those little sweepstakes they used to do for cruises where you go to the store and you write on the little ticket there and you stick it into, sit the ticket into the little box, right? And then they have a drawing to see who wins the cruise. No, I don't. I don't You've yeah. never seen that? I, I might have. I just don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. I don't gamble or anything. Don't play lottery. This is why we call him Jonathan the Ludite, right there. <laughs> that answer, right there. Anyway, for those of you who have a life, wow, and are normal, wow, you do remember 
going to 7-Eleven, McDonald's, other places, and writing your name in a raffle and putting that information on a ticket with wait, your wait, wait. name, address, phone number. Was this like in date the 60s of birth. when you were a kid? I, was, I wasn't even around in the <laughs> 60s, right? And then, you know, somewhere magically at some point they're going to do a drawing and you had the possibility of winning these sweepstakes, right? Well, you put down a lot of information there. Right? That's a whole lot of information that you put there. So somebody has it now. They have that information, mm. right? So these are things where, again, you can't distinguish where the damage occurred or who was really at fault of it, right? There's always a very good argument against, hey, no, we weren't solely responsible for this. You know, it's you have actions in two that could have exposed your information and data. Mm. So it's just very hard to very really prove that. So it, the article kind of brings up an interesting point about the regula- regulatory and compliance. Mm-hmm. And how, this, so this lawsuit is trying to sue them because they weren't following their compliance, like their own procedures, because they wrote the procedures to be compliant. Mm-hmm. So do you think, hmm, how do I word this? Do you think that there's a future for these kind of lawsuits to get for the plaintiffs to win if they stick more to the, hey, you didn't get follow, um, you know, the government's regulation, and so now we're suing you. Yeah, so this is how weird and twisted our world is, right? The organization that is your information, like if they are associated with, let's say, a particular standards or body or someone in which they have agreements with, that they will provide this level of security and capability there. So company corp-to-corp lawsuits in these, in these regards have mm-hmm. been much more successful than mm-hmm. individuals to, than individual class action lawsuits um, uh, to these organizations. So corp to corp where companies have agreements between each other that they will secure their information at this level or there are you know some lots of what some of the punitive damages could be for that and that's already known between the parties when they sign on the dotted line, right? Those have been much more successful in actually one getting to uh, settlements as well as in some cases being successfully litigated and stuff too. So you find that those have been much more successful there, right? On a corporate-to-corporate level. Yeah, on a corporate-to-corporate level as far as this company is going to sue that company because <laughs> they mm-hmm. trusted them with this information. And, and so that is now. Now they can actually say, hey, we were materially damaged by this because now our client's information and customer information is out there. And now our customers are going to look to us at this point in time and say, so now you definitely have mm, okay. a customer right? that's there. Now, there are probably conditions that have been put in place like saying, hey, um, like, for instance, um, you know, uh, let's say, let's take an Equifax, right? Um, if that, where they had third-party agreements and stuff that were all in place because, you know, Equifax is through all sorts of stuff, right? You know, tra- you know, from both your, you know, we know them as credit monitoring, right? They're actually a pretty, um, they actually have a very, very extensive, you know, capability as far as in um, big data, right, um, being able to do, uh, analytics and stuff too, as far as information about demographics and mm. you know spending and spending habits and all those types of things. They have tons and tons of information, right? Uh, that's there, and that's that's with any of the credit bureaus, right? Uh, that's out there. They have all this information and data about that, but they get that, and they also help in providing that to third parties and everything else for them to do whatever they need to do mm. with their business, right? So it's a very you know, lucrative business that they have and a lucrative business model that's out there for the trans unions, the, 
you know, the Equifaxes and the, uh, what's the third guy? Experian, right? Mm. Um, so these are, um, you know, they're just a kind of an example of how complex that row can go. But with that, there are agreements and stuff that are made. You got third-party agreements, memorandum, memorandums of understanding and everything else that determines, hey, we expect that you're going to do this and that we are going to provide this level of security, you're going to provide this level of security, and that's how we're going to make sure that our clients are protected. So if one of them violates that, you've already set the structure there for there to be consequences and stuff that's, mm. uh, that can be done there. Would that kind of thing be written into like an NDA or just how would that be? Yeah, those like agreements I was just saying. Yeah. yeah, like I was saying, those, those agreements there. Yeah. Yeah, so typically the companies will, co- go, will come into those agreements. In some cases, yeah, it'd be in like NDAs or even uh, PIAs and stuff too that, mm. uh, that those organizations have in order to protect themselves as well as their customers uh, as part and as party to those, you know, those agreements. Um, so that's why it's a bit easier for them to actually go in that direction. And then you have kind of the, uh, you really do have the, you know, the other piece, and we'll talk about this kind of in topic two, and that's the cyber insurance mm. component to this. Well, that actually transitions into our next section perfectly. So yeah, I was trying to steal your thunder. It's okay. I mean, it's your show. Your name, your name's on the title. So oh, I, I'm just here to hold your hand. But you're the producer. I don't know, but it's your show. I just hold your hand. Don't hold my hand. <laughs> I, I won't. I won't tell anybody. That's just creepy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the topic of uh, this episode is going to be um, like cybersecurity, like the legality, how all that system works, um, litigation. We already kind of touched on that, uh, cyber insurance, how all that works. Mm-hmm. So this is, the floor is open for you. All right. Cyber insurance. So if you look at some of the legal publications and stuff out there, as well as even on you know, carrying cyber insurance, one of the things you're going to find is that, um, and I've probably said this on the show a couple of times, is that there are a number of different ways that companies are being surprised and having their own claims denied in the event of data breaches or cyber, um, you know, cyber events or so uh, that should be covered by these, uh, you know, by these policies or that they think should be covered by these policies. Mm. Um, but let's talk about some of the structure here for cyber insurance, right? One is you need to pay attention to the policy exclusions, okay? Um, big companies, I think you guys are, 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 uh, have this under control uh, at this point, but it's our medium companies and smaller companies that uh, are saying, okay, you know what, I need to get cyber insurance. And the first thing you look for when you're doing insurance a lot of times is, how can I pay the least to get a lot, right? Yeah. Or I just need it, so I'll just get it so I can, cro- so I can check that box. Um, in this current day and age, you'd need to probably dig just a bit deeper, okay? So let's talk about the, about cyber insurance. So really, um, there are really kind of six things that you want to really keep an eye on. One are the policy exclusions, right? Um, you know, policy exclusions in this case are kind of one of the biggest reasons why claims are denied uh, when companies have cyber insurance, right? Uh, and for that, basically, the company is stating in your policy what does not apply, right? Or how something can be actually voided or, or what circumstance uh, they will not cover, 
right? And so those things are already written in there. So you need to pay very, very close attention to those. And it needs to be adequately applied or adequately adjusted to, um, you need to adjust adequately uh, to um, your industry, right? Different industries are susceptible to different types of attacks and also different types of uh, circumstances in which there's a breach that occurs. So when you look at those exclusions, make sure that they are applicable because you do not want to have a cyber insurance uh, coverage that's probably more you know, applicable to the construction industry, mm -hmm. but you're trying to apply it to your e-commerce business. Right, that makes sense. Right? I mean, that's not an apples and apples thing, right? That's an apples and oranges thing, and basically you'll find yourself having paid for apples, but you, know, you got oranges, and yeah. that sucks, right? Um, there then is, uh, you know, as you're going in to get a policy, there are things that you call like poor prevention practices, right? So the insurance company, when you go and you file your claim and stuff for this, right? Well, they're going to want, before they, before they give you insurance, they had you fill out this long bit of paperwork and maybe even had an auditor or an assessor come in to assess your risk and stuff. And, you know, they made recommendations on how you can prevent certain situations so that, you know, the insurance company itself can make money and they want to make money off your premium. But right. so they've set the condition that, hey, you're going to continue to maintain these controls and capabilities, right, to prevent uh, breaches and to prevent, you know, possible hacking and stuff in this case. So if you deviate away from that, well, then they can determine that your poor practices in that case actually was the result or resulted in, you know, that breach or that security incident. And then you forfeit the insurance. Yep. Mm. Yep. Makes sense. Another part is... Um, you know, these insurance companies want to see tangible evidence, really, right, in your documentation that really specifically says what your preventative measures are, right? Uh, lining out how you protect yourself, how do you account for the different cyber threats that are, um, that are associated with your industry, your operations, and, you know, most of all, on how you handle uh, important, costly data uh, within your organization, right? Then there's the other part of you know, determining if a third-party stakeholder is at fault, right? Um, your security and both the technologies that you use within your organization and stuff from there, uh, you've got third parties or you're using third-party networks, right? Mm -hmm. And so your use of third-party networks in that case would be, look, hey, you said that you put in all these preventative practices and measures. Well, I see that you're using this third party over here for all of your storage and you're using this third party over here for uh, some parts of your critical, you know, uh, network operations. Well, they weren't included in our assessment of this, right? Did you assess that they were on the same page as you were? Yeah. Or did you just go, Hey, you know what? I'm just going to do this third party thing and do this third party thing here. Right. Some people in the industry would say, Oh, you know what we're doing? We are offloading our risk and we're offloading our risk to that third party. Well, be careful on how you do that because you may also offload what your responsibility was uh, to the insurance company and they may say, no, you're using that third party. We didn't see where you did any due diligence whatsoever to, <laughs> to make sure they were in line with you. And now fault is you know, with you via your third party because you, didn't, you failed to actually maintain and manage that third party. Mm, makes sense. All right. Then there's the accidental errors and omissions. Okay. Um, 
And that is where you may have not or you have omitted uh, some of the documentation um, that you should have shared with the insurer, like for instance, that you've had breaches before, right? Mm -hmm. And that you maybe didn't quite resolve those or that you didn't really have a post-mortem or so on that where you've identified what was exploited, uh, identified the reasons why, and identified what you need to do to fix it and close those particular gaps right right there. Maybe you didn't disclose that because you thought that would interfere with um, you know, you actually being able to get insured. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that with regular insurance. Don't ever do that. It's better to not even have the insurance in that case than to actually... Um, don't lie to actually, the yeah. insurance company. Yeah. Yeah. Be completely upfront and honest on it. It's much better <laughs> in that case because it really stinks to have to go through those types of discussions as well as what are some of the legal implications for lying on an insurance policy when you've been asked Mm. specifically, what have you done? What did you do? What has prevented that? Have you ever had any type of incident here? Uh, you also swear that all the things that you've said here are true and da-da-da, right? Yeah, it's, under threat of perjury. Yeah, these, and, things yeah. Are, these things are in place for a reason, and you can't, you can't take them lightly. So uh, to, my, you know, to my chief risk officers and uh, board members and stuff of organizations and companies out there, and in particular, my CISOs and you know, directors of security and stuff too, people who are being depended upon by uh, the leadership of orgs to really make good decisions in this area, beware and be careful, but be very thorough as far as on how you answer and address your cybersecurity insurance because the sticking points and potholes are vast and unavoidable if you are not fully transparent in what it is that you've done. And then sixth, when coverage doesn't extend beyond the interruption time frame, right? So cyber liability insurance policies vary, okay? Each company has different parts and pieces that you can construct the cybersecurity policy and stuff together with. So you need to pay close attention to what those coverage time frames are, right? Mm -hmm. um, this could be a difference between having all your losses covered versus just a small percentage, you know, of them covered. And just to let you know, some of this, a lot of this information is coming from Techie Geek. This is not stuff that's just sitting in my head. Some of it is, some of it is not. But a good resource for you guys to be able to turn to as well is to go to techiegeek.com uh, as well to kind of look this up. They've really kind of simplified some of this topic and subject area here. Very good for just, you know, just... You know, regular reading in that case. You know, you don't see a bunch of case numbers and stuff in there. It's just very straightforward. Not legalese. Not legalese. No. So not legalese and punctuations that you're just not used to seeing in anything that you write. So I got a question. The um, there's been an argument I've heard recently about how cyber insurance is actually encouraging um, ransomware attackers to go after companies more so than they would because they know that the company can just call their insurance and get it and they'll get a big payout. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's why they're, you're seeing an increase in the amount of ransomware or the amount that the ransom is. So, you know, it used to be like 50 grand, hundred grand, but now it's like 3 million, $5 million. Mm -hmm. Do you think that having cyber insurance has been encouraging these larger ransoms from cyber criminals? Uh, I don't think that that's been the sole cause of that. I okay. don't think that's causation. I think there's some correlation there, mm -hmm. but Again, I would say probably some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life uh, have been uh, in the insurance industry, and the insurance industry is very good at making money, 
And so anything that is really obstructing their ability or capability to make money, I have to imagine they will get rid of it, right? Or they would not uh, allow that to keep going on uh, in that, meaning that where we talked about things like exclusions and stuff, they mm-hmm. will work on those exclusions to make sure that they are in the best position possible to retain the premiums that have been paid into the organization right. that is maintaining their you know insurance account and stuff too for that. Okay. What what would do you think would be an alternate uh, causation? <clears throat> well, alternate causation is that organizations don't want to be embarrassed, mm. right? They want to conduct business as usual. And if they can get back to it as fast as possible with as little embarrassment as possible, they'll pay a ransom. And if they're a large organization, just like Colonial Pipeline, they went ahead and was like, oh, we'll go ahead and pay it, right? Right. Because they want to get back to business as usual. Mm. Okay. Right? Damn the consequences. We want to get back to business as usual, right? Um, That is a very dangerous approach to life and whichever. But again, it comes down to reassuming regular business operations and continuing to generate revenue Mm. is the important part. That's why our companies exist. It's just part of what our free market economy is and and will always probably be um, uh, that's there. So So it's the sense of urgency that just you're saying is contributing to the willingness of companies to pay out higher ransoms. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was it. And so some of the smart early adopters of this, you know, they found that, okay, or, well, these companies are going to pay out large, you know, large settlements from that, or that they can pass that on to the insurance company, right? And say, okay, that's why we got insurance first, right? So your first adopters, well, they're the smartest out of the, out of the gate because they're like, hey, uh, we are going to pass this risk. We're going to transfer this risk, mm-hmm. right? Um, but like I said, insurance companies are in the business to make money. Right. They will figure out a way to not have to pay some of that. Yeah. Right? Well, in, in the case of the Colonial Pipeline, their cyber insurance did actually pay the ransom for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was some other hack that that happened recently too, where the cyber insurance paid out the ransom. Did the cyber insurance pay out the ransom? Colonial Pipeline sent the yep. money directly. No, it was a. Ra- I'm I'm looking this up, but I'm about ninety percent certain. Mm-hmm. That's why the CEO got chastised. So I can't find it saying if the company paid it or if the insurance paid it. Yeah, I, I think the company did because they did like a, it was like a cryptocurrency transfer or so of those funds. And then those I do remember were, being crypto. And those funds were re-seized by the American, by the U.S. government and <laughs> given back. To yeah, the which that's a whole interesting thing because those crypto wallets are supposed to be like impenetrable and yeah. Though I did, there is something here on, on the Google's. That says uh, uh, ransomwares are paid out by insurance companies. Yeah, yeah, they can be. But it's, it's, there's a legal <laughs> limit on what, how much and what they can pay out. Yeah, they don't know. The company hasn't disclosed that the cyber insurance was what was paid out. Mm. But here it is. First, with the cyber policy in effect, the insurer would likely have stepped in at the onset of the time the company first discovered their system had been breached. So... A cyber insurer is going to have somebody that's going to go in. They're going to have the forensic guy and everything else that's coming in to do that, right? Mm. And they'll pay for that because they don't want to necessarily pay for the fee. So they want to first probably see, hey, can we <laughs> can we get... Yeah, they'll pay an incident <laughs> yeah. response guy to yeah, get see, them out of paying the bigger see if one. See we can uh, uh, you know, get this data back and stuff from there, right? Mm-hmm. But this would have been like the investigative fees, for, uh, determine the cost, scope, and extent of the security breach, and then if I affected parties, cost of legal fees or other 
professional advice on responding to the security costs, cost to notify the, the, but yeah, it's, it's not, I don't, I don't see where it says that it, they, that it paid it. I remember reading it like right after it happened. I might get, I might be thinking of something else, but. By and large, it's quite reasonable to assume that any amount of premium the company may have had to pay would not be near the five billion five million dollar ransom payment. Mm, so they might have paid part of it, but not all of it. Yeah, like reimbursed them or something. Um, I don't know if they'd do a reimbursement either on that. I mean, just, just because of the way the insurance is, it, it pays for fees, but it it's you know it, it does not say that it's going to pay for the ransom, right? right? Yeah, it paid for 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 expenses like your investigators and your people, your specialists and stuff too that came in. They paid for those types of things. Hmm. How can BlackRock help companies um, grasp and have a good uh, foundation and understanding of the legal side of cyber? So BlackRock, um, our experience is really in being in doing a lot of both the technical work as far as in cybersecurity and securing your organization with different tools, technologies, and capabilities. But really where the rubber meets the road for, uh, for BlackRock Engineering and Technology is uh, in working with organizations in their compliance programs, mm. understanding what are the different industry standards, state legislation standards and stuff that they have to meet, as well as federal and global standards for privacy and security. So we can work from both directions, right? One direction is this. We know how to keep a company compliant and in line with things like the provisions in a cybersecurity insurance policy, which saying that, hey, you need to maintain your hygiene and maintain your uh, cybersecurity capabilities, risk management, and uh, you know compliance practices in order to maintain this policy, right? Um, we can help as far as instituting those and putting those in place. Uh, in addition to that, we also have an understanding how uh, organizations can be approached both from consumers and others regarding their liability in both data breaches as well as in uh, the controls that they should have had in place. So here's an example. We know from our experience that companies sometimes know about their security holes for three and five years, but never close them because they don't get the support from the executives in the organization to provide budget and resources in order to adequately address those areas, especially if they don't see a direct line to, hey, what's going to be the bottom line for this year, right? They still look at this as an expense rather than an enabler for mm. their organization. Security is an enabler now for the organization to be successful. If you don't put these types of capabilities in place, if you don't follow a lot of the different frameworks and best practices that are in the industry at this point, the likelihood is, is that you are leaving yourself open to not achieving what we call due care and taking care of just the minimal cybersecurity requirements for your organization. So we know and have seen this for years that uh, security in some cases have been the last thing to actually be you know, applied in the organization or the last line item for the budget mm. uh, that's there. And, you know, with those holes, those are the things that get exploited. It's normally not some elaborate scheme or elaborate security breach that's happened. It's usually something very simple has happened, you know, from a whole standpoint that either has exploited the fact that you're not monitoring employees and shutting down their accounts when they leave or, or, or are terminated, or even simple things like, you know, hey, not, you know, putting things like end-to-end uh, 
end-to-end encryption and stuff within your organization so people can just sit there and literally see your credentials and stuff going across the wire within the org, mm. right? So we can help as far as closing those gaps and closing those holes. We have both the, um, you know, we have both the approach as far as for uh, the budgetary concerns that the board of an organization has and being able to really bounce those against, look, here is the strategic position that you need as an organization to succeed. Here is the level of security that you need to have in order to do that on a regular basis. And here, are, where, here is how you burn down both risk and compliance, um, you know, compliance impacts uh, for the organization as you move through that. So that gives you a good picture of how you should move forward. So now you know what you need to do, why you need to do it, how you need to do it, and most of all, how to fix it should something go wrong mm. or the circumstances change. Makes sense. So that's how BlackRock um, moves and works with uh, our different organizations, supplying both that uh, soft touch compliance and risk uh, approach with really some exceptional technical talent to be able to help in implementing those things with your staff. All right, guys, that's all for this episode of The Lojo Show. Talked about some of today's cyber news and discussed the legal side of cyber. Let us know what you think of season two. You can leave a comment on our Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube pages. Or you can send us an email at officiallojoshow at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. With that, we will say goodbye. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Stay safe and stay secure.